Hey guys, this is the Mosaic Podcast, and I want to welcome you. But I want to let you know that MSC just released a new album called Heaven. Seven brand new songs that express the heart of our community, our heart of worship, and are going to absolutely inspire you and make an impact on your life. Mosaic MSC, Heaven. So yesterday morning, I came in on a red eye, and I've been flying a lot of red eyes in the last few weeks, and this week I've already been on two, and but I want to make sure I got back home to L.A. No matter where I go in the world, I'm always so excited to be back. And I wanted to be back here for Mosaic. I wanted to be back for Mosaic last night in Orange County. But, but the reason is that the red eye wasn't just so I could come back and be in church. I'm going to be really honest. I came back because there was a football game and I wanted to go. And, and interesting, what football game? It was the Los Angeles Football Club. It's what you Americans call soccer. And, but the rest of humanity calls it football. And... Because they don't understand why you would call something football where you're using your hands. And, but we'll figure that out another time. So I was at the Los Angeles Football Club. And it was this incredible, incredible experience. I, just, and I, I took our nephew, Taylor. I love taking people who have never seen a soccer match and who are certain they'll hate it. Because, and when I take them to LAFC, everything is just perfectly created to bring a person into a different perspective of life. It's built for conversion. And so I took Taylor, and he's our nephew. He's 19. He's from North Carolina, and he doesn't know soccer. He doesn't care about soccer. He doesn't even ever want to know soccer. And, and I knew he didn't want to go. I mean, I knew he wanted to go for the free food, maybe, but not to watch soccer. And then I told him, hey, there's a falcon. And so he was excited about seeing a bird before the match. And But if I left him at home, he'd have to do chores, because my wife would put him to work. So he came to the soccer match with us, and and I knew he, he was planning to be on his phone the whole time. But we went in. The place was extraordinary. The stadium is beautiful. We got to get some amazing seats yesterday. And, and the food was epic. And, and then when the match started, no, and there was a pre, pre-match, this section that just screams and cheers for two hours, even though the match only lasts 90 minutes. And they're cheering and going crazy. And so you know you should cheer and go crazy. Have you ever been in the middle of a crowd that's going crazy? And you don't even know why, but next thing, you're going crazy too? Yeah! But you don't even know what you're talking about. And they're, they're just cheering and going crazy, and the match started. And I could see he was slowly getting pulled in. Slowly getting pulled in. And then I could see the anxiety on his face. Who's going to score? Who's going to score? Who's going to score? Do they ever score? And, uh, <laughs> and, and then his eyes got bigger. Physically, literally bigger. And I knew he was fixated. He forgot about his phone. He forgot about everything else. And then he looked at me and he says, I love this. He goes, I love soccer. I want to come back. I said, well, you're not invited back. But and, uh, I'm so glad that you love it. I could see his conversion. And I thought, how many times is that the way a person experiences like, church? They're like, I don't want anything to do with church. Just like I don't have to do with soccer. I, I will never like this God stuff. I'm not really into the spirituality stuff. And, and then when you go in, you're, you're really nervous. And, and Taylor had our friend Kevin who plays soccer and knows soccer, kind of being his, his mentor, guiding him through, explaining to him what's going on. It's always nice to have someone that kind of helps you, guides you through. Wouldn't it be great if you hear and you're a guest that you have a friend who, who believes in, in God and has come to know Jesus, kind of like guiding you through, just whispering in your ear, this is what happens next, and this is why they do this. And, and then they could just whisper to you, this is where they have the human sacrifice. And, and uh, so don't stand and volunteer. This is where you want to sit quietly. And, it's really helpful to have someone kind of guide you through. 
Because you're, you're, you're trying to create an environment where a person can finally see what you see. You, you, can't, you can't impose it on someone. It has to happen within them. And while we're there, we, we got to um, see these different people coming by. And, and, and then one of the guys said, hey, do you know who that is? And I said, uh, no. And he goes, that's Peter Goober. He, he owns the team. And he's walking around just meeting people. And, and yeah, you ever wanted like, to say hi to someone, but you didn't want to be that person? So you hope it just sort of happens casually by, oh, you know. And, and, and he just kind of wandered over, like just inches away. And I thought, And I, I'm, I, I heard myself go, Peter. It just sort of blurted out of my mind, my mouth. And, 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 and I, I said, Peter. And he, and he said, yes. And I thought, I'm meeting Pete Goober. This is so exciting because like, he owns the Dodgers and the Warriors and LAFC, every, every team that matters. And, and, uh, and, 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 and I said, I just want to thank you so much for creating this beautiful this place and this experience. And just really, really grateful to be a part of this. And and he was smiling so big. And then he said something I did not expect. He said, it's delicious, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't expect that. And, and, and then I realized, it, it is delicious. It, it, it's a, I would have never used that, that language. I, it, it wouldn't have occurred to me, but it, it, it is delicious. And, and, and he, he said it like four or five times. It's just delicious. It's just delicious. And, I, and I'm like, it is delicious. It's like, you know, it's like I'm, I'm delighting in the delicious right now. It's incredible. And, and then it hit me. That's why this stadium, that's why this team, that's why experience is different because love built this. And you may not realize it, but when you look back on your life, you're going to realize that, that you build what you love. You just may not be aware of what you love. Or you may actually say you love one thing, but you actually love another thing. Have you ever said to someone, I love you, but you don't give them any time? But you actually love something else. See, some of us love things more than people, so we spend more time with things than we do with people. But we use the language of love for people and the language of like for things. Well, actually, we say we love them too. But when you look back on your life, you're going to have built something. You may not realize it, but you're a sole architect. You're creating a life through the choices you're making. And at the end of your life, you're going to get to see what you built, and you'll get to see what you loved. And it's interesting, because Jesus said this in Matthew 16, verse 18, and I'm sure you're familiar with these words from Jesus. He said to Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus didn't write any books. Jesus didn't build any buildings. Jesus never broke any world records. There were... There's nothing concrete or tangible that could be preserved through history that says Jesus built this. I know there are a lot of people who love finding artifacts that are connected to Jesus, but there are really no genuine artifacts connected to Jesus because Jesus never built a house. Jesus never built anything. Here you go. The one thing Jesus came to build was the church. And if you connect the dots and you realize, oh, wait a minute, you build what you love, then you realize what Jesus loves is the church. But a lot of times we get confused. We think the church is a system or an institution or a building, but it's not. See, the reason Jesus loves the church is that he loves humanity. 
And what he, what he came to do is restore our humanity. See, if you want to know what you love, look and see what you sacrifice for. So there's this moment way before Jesus where there was a man named David, and he just began as a shepherd boy, but he ended up as a king. It's an incredible career to, to follow. And in, in, in Jesus' story, he tells us what he loves, and then you go back to David's moment, and you realize you can see what a person loves by what they build. And there was a moment when David really messed up. He was the king, and he kind of forgot that he became the king because God was with him. He started almost feeling like he didn't need God, and he was really getting almost um, uh, overwhelmed by his own press. So he decided he was going to count how big his army was, how powerful he was. And his commanders came to him and said, don't do this, King David. Do not count your armies, because they knew this would violate his relationship with God. But David had forgotten what made him famous. Now he was just focused on his fame. And have you ever had someone give you counsel, or have you ever gone to someone for advice, but then you didn't like the advice, so you went to someone else? And you didn't like the advice, so you went to someone else. By the way, if you go to more than one person for advice, you're not looking for advice. You're looking for agreement. And if you go to four or five people for advice, that just tells you your idea is so bad (laughs) that you can't even find someone who will agree with you. That's why when people come to me and ask me for my advice, I know they already know what they're going to do. They just want to point back to me so if it goes bad, they can say, you told me to do it. So David is going to count his armies and his commanders say, don't do this. And David doesn't listen, so he does it anyway. And what he does has such deep spiritual implications. And by the way, a lot of the decisions and choices we make in life that look so superficial actually have such deep substance to them. And when David does this, he violates his relationship with God. God becomes angry. And God says, David, there's a consequence to what you've done. I'm going to wipe out a third of your armies, which I think is pretty brutal. In fact, when I first read this, I was kind of mad, thinking, wait a minute, God, you're going to punish all the people who didn't do anything wrong and leave the guy who did something wrong alone. I don't really think that's fair. I think you should only allow the consequences to affect the person who made the choice. But life is never like that, by the way. In, in, in fact, the consequence of David's life was that he had to live with the implications of his choices and how they impacted other people. See, when you understand that you build what you love, you begin to realize that the material with which you build are the relationships you have in your life. If you're going to build something that reflects love, you need to own your influence. You need to realize that God has given you the incredible capacity to affect and influence other people's lives for better or for worse. David was now king. And because he was king, his choices affected so many people. It affected an entire kingdom. See, I think a lot of times we want more influence, but we do not want more responsibility. But if you're going to ask God to give you more influence, you need to understand God's going to give you more responsibility. And for every single person in your life, you are now accountable for your effect and your impact on their life. And sometimes this is what we want to ignore. We want to pretend that our choices are isolated and disconnected from everyone else. Now I'm the son of an alcoholic. 
And one of the things that you hear people with addictions say all the time before they own their addictions is I'm not hurting anyone but myself. You you ever had anybody say that to you? Have you ever said it to someone? You know what's fascinating about that statement, I'm not hurting anyone but myself, is that it's never true. In fact, when you're saying to someone, I'm not hurting anyone but myself, you're actually hurting the person you're saying it to. The reason you have to say that is because you're hurting so many people, you want to deny the impact of your choices. You never make an isolated decision. You never make an isolated choice. Everything you do in your life impacts someone else. Sometimes it impacts strangers. But most of the time, it actually impacts the people who are most intimate in your life. This is, I think, the most disturbing thing about the way we're designed as humans. Because your your most powerful material from which you build your life are people. Our relationships. See, when you build out of love, you realize what you're actually building into is people. Because there's nothing God loves more than people. There's nothing more viable than people. Everything else in life is secondary, and it's so secondary, it doesn't even come in second. So what happens when people get close to you? Have you ever been around someone that... um? To love them is to be wounded. Have you, have you ever been around someone that when you care about them, you, you just you knew to care about them was to endanger yourself? See, there, there, there are some people, and maybe you're one of them right now, it's dangerous to love you. Hey, have you ever loved someone that it was dangerous to love? Have you ever cared about someone, but it was actually dangerous to care about them? Because when you care about something, you you actually make yourself vulnerable to them. When you love someone, you open your soul completely to them. That's what love does. Love strips you of all your protection. So when you love someone, you give them your heart and you entrust them not to crush it. But what David showed us in this moment is he was not trustworthy with the relationships he had been entrusted with. And there was a consequence to his choices. And some of the people didn't even understand that their lives were being affected by the choices David made. The people in your life, is it safe to live in the universe of your love? Is it safe for a person to care about you? Sometimes when you hold a person close, they have so many jagged edges that it cuts you deep. But if that's true, the contrast can be true too. See, if there are times you can love someone and it's just really dangerous to love them, you can care about someone and it just damages you and leaves you broken and hurting. And see, I think a lot of us carry the wounds of having loved not too little, but loved too much. I think some of us are wounded because we care too much or maybe we can't care too much or we cannot love too much. We just need to understand that love causes pain when you love someone who's in pain. But the opposite can be true, the converse can be true, because, see, if someone can care about me, and if I'm, if I'm broken and filled with bitterness and anger, I can actually break them, then isn't it true that if someone cares about me and I'm healthy, it actually can make their life better? Yeah. See, I want to be the kind of person that if someone cares about me, it actually makes their life better. 
I want to be the kind of person that someone chooses to love me, it actually makes them whole, not just me. I wonder what happens to a human being when they get close to you. What happens to a human being when they're affected by the gravitational pull of your choices? Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if you can look back on your life and say, you know, I built this with love. This was all built by love. And when someone cared about me, what they experienced was the soul of who I was. When someone loved me, they got the core of who I am. See, out of your life, you can actually pour into someone else hope. You can pour into someone else compassion. You can pour into someone else forgiveness. You can pour into someone else meaning and intention. When someone opens up their souls to you, pour out of yourself life so that you're pouring into them life. What love does is it changes the way you live your life. David did not need to build that altar for himself. He had to build it for others. He needed to build that altar because his choices affected other people. And in fact, it tells us when he built that altar, he prayed on behalf of the people, not on his own behalf. He didn't need to go build that altar in the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, because his life needed it. It was because he cared about the people that had been entrusted to him. He realized that his choices and his actions had an effect on other people's lives. Who do you love enough to change for? I think a lot of times the reason we don't find the strength to make the hard choices to change is that we don't love anything or anyone more than ourselves. I know in my life it's made some huge, huge differences when I made a decision to love my wife more than I love myself. To love my children more than I love myself. It changed the way I lived my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. It changed for me my priorities and my values. What I find is when people only are in love with themselves, they make the most destructive choices of their life. But when someone loves someone else more, it changes the way you choose. Tonight, we're getting on a red eye. Myself, my wife, Kim, our nephew, Taylor, about 20 of us, and we're flying across the country and we're going to Puerto Rico because it's, it's, it's the one year anniversary of when they were devastated by the hurricane. And, and contrary to what you may have heard, almost 3,000 people have lost their lives as an outcome of that hurricane. And Puerto Rico is still devastated and in ruins and people are still struggling to, to get a hold of, of their lives and just to make it day by day. And so our team is going up to Puerto Rico, not on vacation but with intention to serve. And I don't know about you, but I'm a busy person. I have a lot of things to do. I have a lot of things I could do. I have a lot of things I want to do. Making this choice redirects my life. Making this choice redirects that team's life. All those people, they all have jobs. They all have responsibilities. They're having to give up something to give something. And what happens when you love and you make people The focus of your affection, when you make people your highest value, it changes the choices you make. It changes the direction of your life. It changes the way you choose. David built an altar because he knew that he had to live his life beyond himself because he was called to live a life for others. So how are you doing with people? When you look at your relationships, are you building 
a kingdom of love? Do you own your influence? Then he goes on to tell us that after Gad told David to go and build an altar, David and his men went. And he went to the territory of Aruna, and it says in verse 20, when Aruna looked and saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy the threshing floor, David answered. So I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, let my king, my, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Aruna gives all this to the king. Aruna also said to him, may the Lord your God accept you. Now, by the way, Aruna may have been the most generous guy in the world, but he didn't really have an option. Because the kingdom belonged to the king. You may think it's your land, but it's not your land. It's only your land as long as the king says it's your land. And the moment the king wants that land, it's not your land. It's the king's land. You may think those are your ox, but they're not really your oxes. If the king wants those ox, they're the king's ox. And the king comes with his officials riding in. And Aruna must have been terrified. He says, my king, what are you doing here? He says, I need that land. And I need everything necessary to build an altar. You have one option. Oh, my king, everything is yours. You may not want to say that, but if you want to live, you will say that. You can't go to the king and say, well, you know, my king, the market is kind of high right now. Oxen are a commodity. Yoke are selling at a really, really high value right now. And that threshing floor, it's my favorite threshing floor. To give that up, King David has some wealth. Maybe I could just make a little bank here. If he took that posture, he would be dead. So he offers everything to the king, and the king could have taken it. And from David's mindset, it would have been absolutely right, acceptable to take everything that was given to him because it was his. But uh, David responds simply and clearly, no, no. I insist on paying you for it. You see, when you're building out of love, you realize what you're building into people and the material that you build your life on is relationships. But you also begin to realize that not only do you need to own your influence, but you have to build your altar. You have to decide what you're going to be identified with. See, because in an interesting way, if relationships are the bricks that God uses to build Identity is the cement that holds those bricks together. You have to decide who you are. What are you identified with? If he had taken what Aruna offered him, that would have not been his altar. That would have been Aruna's altar. David says, no, I need to pay you for it because this is something I'm doing. This altar is an extension of who I am. See, whoever you are and wherever you are in your life, you may not realize it, but you've already built an altar. And your altar may be to fame. Your altar may be to power. Your altar may be to wealth. Your altar may be to pleasure. Your altar is being built right now. It's where you worship. It's what you give your life to. It's what you give your passions to. It's what you give your heart to. It's what you give your talent to. It's what you give your money to. You want to know what your altar is? Check for a moment and see what you're placing your life at the feet of. 
Because that's your altar. You see, you're called not only to build an altar, you're called to be an altar. And David says, no, I need to pay for this because this is my altar I'm building. And it's to be fascinating how David rides in as a king, but he steps off that horse and he builds the altar as a servant. He says, I, I, I got too full of myself. I, I, I started believing my press that I'm king, David. I need to remember that I'm actually servant, David. And that I should live my life worshiping the God who's brought every good thing into my life. I'm going to be marked by who I am. And in some ways, David remembered who he was because he forgot. See, David began as someone that was marked by his relationship to God. When he fought against Goliath, he was so clear and standing in the place between God and humanity. And this altar was a place where God stopped his wrath and began his compassion. And God said, David, I want you to stand in between me and humanity and be identified with me. What are you known for? L.I. is so big on identity. It's amazing how many things we want to be identified by. And we're the culture of brands. I don't know if you know this, but brands used to put their brands on the inside. You don't, most of you don't even know that. You go, wait a minute, why would you buy that if no one knows what brand it is? Because you see, somewhere along the way, they realized that they were branding us. Because we needed a brand that made us feel better about ourselves. Because the more we lost our identity, the more we were willing to be given an identity. Have have you ever felt misunderstood by people? Someone will say something about you, go, that's not not who I am. In fact, I had a conversation this week. We were talking about, I said, you know, bro, there's just like, there's, there's reality and then there's perception. And I know that you think reality is more important than perception, but in most cases, perception is more important than reality. Because there's a reality in the perceptions that you don't want to see. Have you ever had someone say something about you and go, that's not true? Like, you're late all the time. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just late today. And yesterday, but I'm not late all the time. You ever had that perception? Or, you're always mad. No, I'm not. Everybody have a perception about you? No, I'm not. Man, you're always depressed. You're always negative. See, when someone's telling you who you are and you don't agree with it, there's, there's, there's some kind of dissonance between the perception and the reality. Now, either the perception is the reality and you're misperceiving reality, or the perception is disconnected from reality and some people are not reading you right. So you need to ask yourself, why am I being defined by an identity I don't think is me? It might be you've never actually taken time to build an altar to say, no, this is who I am. This is what defines my life. There's some of you here, when you're here in this kind of environment, you're all about God. You're all about Jesus. But when you're not here, no one knows you're all about God. And no one knows you're all about Jesus because you're not. You just think you are. But the perception and the reality don't match. 
And, and what I've discovered is that there are people everywhere trying to find God, but they can't find the markers to lead them to God. And everybody keeps looking for a sign. You ever look for a sign? God, just give me a sign. But what we don't realize is that the signs that God lays out for us to find him are people. See, you're supposed to be the altar that's set on fire, that sets out an aroma so that people can find God. See, you're supposed to be delicious. And I know some of you, and you are. You are delicious. You have the aroma of God all over your life. And, and, and a lot of times people can't explain it. They just come to you and go, what, what's, what's happening to you? They don't have a language for it. And it's not because they don't have a language of God. They actually don't have a language for life. They see you fully alive and they want that. I, I think it's so funny because a lot of people don't remember my name. By the way, my name is Erwin. It's not an easy name to remember. It's an easy name to forget. So my code name is Mosaic. Because wherever I go, people go, Mosaic. I go, yeah, yeah, that's me. And uh, since birth, I've been Mosaic. And, uh, and I, I've been on so many planes and I've been around so many people. I thought I, I need to create some new patterns in my life. So I actually went and I joined a different like, health club just to be able to go someplace, just to kind of have some alone time on an elliptical machine and just, you know, on, exercising and headphones so everyone knows I'm not available and, and, I, and I, I so I go for my first day and I choose one that's outside of the traffic patterns right and, and, and I said I need, I need some water so I get in line to get some water and it's going really slow but I, I'm a very patient person and uh, because I know someone will know me and uh, <laughs> they go oh wow Jesus did not change his life and so I'm trying to be really, really patient and wait. And then suddenly somebody behind me says, Mosaic. I have headphones on. He has headphones on. Headphones are the cultural language saying. You know what it's saying, right? I'm not available right now. It's just me. This is me time. I need bigger headsets. And... And this really amazing guy interrupts me. His name is Renee, and he says, "Oh, I, you know, I work as a trainer, and uh, and all these different you know clubs." And and he goes, I, "I just went for the first time last week to Venice Beach. I was at Venice Beach, and, and I'm on a spiritual journey." He starts sharing with me his spiritual journey, and and it's a beautiful thing. And, and there's two voices in my head: ones saying, "I'm not going to get to work out." I, I can tell. And, <laughs> Another one is saying, that's why I'm here. I'm here in this place for the very first time because I'm supposed to have an encounter with this person because my life is supposed to be an altar and I'm supposed to be an aroma and I'm supposed to help this person find God. And so we're hanging out, we're having a great conversation and then he goes, hey, my girlfriend's here. Would you, I'd love for you to meet her. I said, sure, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. And, uh, and, 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 and so he runs and... He's gone a few minutes and he comes back and it's like 20 minutes go by after that. I, I think it's because she said, okay, I'll meet him. I don't know if she wanted to meet me, but I think she decided I have to go take a shower and change clothes. I'm not going to meet him sweaty. So another 20 minutes go by and another person comes up. Says, oh, and they start mosaic. So, so 
I'm having all, all these conversations. And then his girlfriend comes to meet her. She's amazing. We have this great conversation about God and life and spirituality and our journeys. And, and 40 minutes later, I have not made it to a single machine. And, and I'm that guy who walks into the exercise place but never actually exercises. And I'm like, oh, God. And so I, I went from there and I thought, okay, I just, I just got to have just, I just I, I need to have some time. So I went and found this little, like, I'm just going to admit it, a little spa. I thought, I'm going to get into a steam room. I'm going to get into a little, like, sauna. And I'm just going to, surely, if I have a towel wrapped around my nakedness, that they will, no one will bother me. And so I, I, I went and I, and I got to the counter, and I, and I, I must have looked like a desperate person. I said, do you have anything? Because, like, you know, you have to, like, have something to get to use the rooms. And I said, do you have, like, a... A facial or a massage. They explained to me what a mini mas- uh, facial was. And so yeah, that sounds great. 30 minutes. And then suddenly I hear, Are you? <laughs> and I turn around and it's a rabbi. It's a, it's a rabbi. And uh, he says, I don't, he's never seen me before. He goes, I recognize your voice. He goes, Are you Erwin McManus? And I, you're from Mosaic. I said, uh, yes, and and uh, he goes. I know, I know this is crazy. I mean, I'm just so excited. And, and he goes, I know I'm a rabbi. I'm not allowed to listen to you, but I am listening to you. And uh, and, and I listen to you every week. I read your books. What you did with Elisha is so amazing. And the last arrow. And and, and I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a little feel I'm a little awkward because I'm a, I, I don't want anybody to know I'm at a spa. Now everybody knows. And uh, he's like, let me give you my email address. And and so I gave him my email address. And he emailed me right away. He goes, we're going to be best friends. (laughs) And and, and that's so beautiful. He goes, I know I'm not supposed to. I thought, and that was the second rabbi who contacted me this week. That's such a beautiful thing. And one rabbi said to me, I've been searching because I felt like something was missing. See, I think we're all searching. Rabbis, pastors, imams, artists, musicians, politicians. We're all searching, trying to make sense of life. And we're all looking for markers. And if your life isn't an altar, how will people know that you're a part of their way to find God? And and then we're at the soccer game and Joe or Kevin says, Erwin, look, the Salvadorian flag. And I said, Where? And then before I could even say anything else, the woman who was down below, because we were up, seat down below us, jumps up. El Salvador. She goes, I'm from El Salvador. I said, me too. She goes, San Jose, San Salvador. This is amazing. And she goes, that's my husband over there. He's from Italy. And, and these are my kids. And she starts telling me where all of her kids are from. And, and we began having this conversation. And, and then eventually I got to, what do you do? And... and and I said, you know, I started a church called Mosaic. And she goes, that's funny. We're, we're Roman Catholic. But my husband said to me this morning, I mean, we're not religious. He's more Buddhist, she said, really. But he said, I need you to find me a church. Because I need music, because I'm Italian. <laughs> and she said, so I thought, maybe we could go find a black church, because they have great music. <laughs> so Pastor Joe Smith was sitting right next to me. So I said, I want you to meet Pastor Joe Smith. He's our black church. And uh, we got 
Latino church, we got black church, we're everything. And, and it didn't throw her off at all. She goes, that's awesome. She got so excited. And, and they already texted me this morning and said, we're coming next week. Because, see, people are on a spiritual journey. And somebody gave them the tickets to the game. They just happened to be sitting right in front of us. Somebody just happened to say, look at the Salvadorian flag. I just happened to be born in El Salvador. She just happened to be from El Salvador. We just happened to be sitting right across from each other. She just happened to be listening into the conversation. He just happened to ask her to find her a church. It all just happened. But if you're not willing to pay for it, you're never going to build your altar. Because no one can build your altar for you. I cannot give you the life God created you to live. I can hopefully inspire you to it. I can hopefully encourage you to it. Maybe I can chastise you to it. Maybe I can make you so uncomfortable, you'll finally fight for it. But you have to pay the price for the life that God created you to live. It's your altar. You have to build it. You have to choose it. And then David says something I think all of us should tattoo on our hearts. After he says, I insist on paying you for it, he says this, I will not sacrifice to the Lord an offering that costs me nothing. How odd that we would ever think there could be a sacrifice that costs us nothing. Because the very nature of a sacrifice is that it costs you everything. You cannot have a sacrifice that costs you nothing. It has to cost you something. And you see, this is the interesting thing about love. The highest expression of love is sacrifice. See, when David says, I will not offer to the Lord a sacrifice that costs me nothing, David understands that a sacrifice is not an act of obligation. It is an act of love. Because when you, when you love freely, you sacrifice fully. And when you love fully, you sacrifice freely. I wonder, what is in your life that you are willing to sacrifice for? What do you love so much? Who do you love so much that you are willing to give of yourself? What in your life actually costs you your life? I think a lot of us confuse what we receive with what we're giving. That's why I hate free events. We're doing one, and I hate free events. <laughs> you know why I hate free events? Because free events are never free. Free events always cost someone something. Yeah. See, free event means someone else sacrificed so you wouldn't have to. See, a free event means it's free to you, so it costs more to someone else. And the crazy thing about a free event, it means it's that someone actually did something, not for themselves, but for someone else. Because we're actually throwing a free event up in Seattle. Oh, here we go again. I never see more complaints than when we have a free event. Because people who take things for free most of the time are the most entitled and the least grateful. And this is the challenge of the relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus sacrificed everything for you and for me. He gave his life for us. He allowed himself to be crucified on a cross 
so that we could live. Jesus' agonizing death was a sacrifice given freely for us. And the tricky thing is that when you receive love freely, you might actually demean what you've received. So you don't sacrifice to God to get God's love. You don't sacrifice to God hoping you can get God's acceptance. I want you to realize that God has already sacrificed everything for you. He's given himself freely. And he has positioned himself in such a position of vulnerability because he has loved us completely. He has given himself completely. He has sacrificed himself completely. And he has placed himself in a position, in a posture saying, I love you. But I'm not going to force myself on you. You cannot make a person love. You can just hope your love wins them over. And David says, I'm not going to build a sacrifice that costs me nothing. He understands the essence of sacrifice. And, And here's the beautiful thing. When David builds an altar and sets it on fire and offers a burnt offering to God, he says this in his, he says, I'm doing this because I need to pray on behalf of the people. It says, then the Lord answered David's prayer in behalf of the land. And the plague on Israel was stopped. Have you ever noticed that when you're living your life for yourself, your life starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller? In fact, some of you, you're in danger of having a really, really, really crowded life because everything you're gaining, everything you're attaining, everything that you're accomplishing is just for you. And your soul is getting so crowded because you're not sharing with anyone. So your life cannot be just about you. It has to be about others. And, and, and if you're going to build a life on love, you need to own your influence. You need to build your altar. But you also need to leave a legacy. You need to ask yourself the question, what am I giving that goes past me? What am I leaving behind that's a gift to others? One of the things I love about Mosaic is we, we do these things called spontaneous baptisms. And, and when we first started doing them here at Mosaic, we would just invite people to decide, follow Jesus now, just receive his love, receive his forgiveness, receive his life, just get up and go outside and be baptized. And people were getting baptized with the clothes they came in. And they were going home, what? It was, it's, a, it's a great way to tell a story. Like, to get on the bus, why are you what? A strange thing happened today. I had a life-changing encounter with the creator of the universe. And I felt compelled to be marked by his love. And, and people would follow Jesus in baptism, and it's just a beautiful thing. And, and I realized every time someone chooses to follow Jesus in baptism, we're building a house with love. Because love built us. And it was last month, it was actually the weekend of my birthday, we baptized, and I also had to catch a red eye right in between after the, the, that last gathering, and I went out this way, and there was all these people soaking wet, and this one guy, I think his name was Jordan, he, he says, can I talk to you for a minute, and I was kind of in a hurry, because I had to get to my birthday party, and then I had to get to a plane, and, and I said, I'm kind of in a hurry, I, I gotta go, and, and he goes, just, just, just for a minute, and I said, sure, sure, and he said, my name is Jordan, and I said, what, what, what's happening, Jordan? And he said, I'm an atheist. And I'm amazed how many people say that to me here at Mosaic. But usually not after they're baptized. And, and he said, I'm an atheist. 
And, and I looked at him and I thought, okay, I should probably ask a few questions. And, and, I, and I said, you're an atheist? He said, yes. I said, but um, you're what? Were you just baptized? He goes, yes, I was just baptized. So that's, that's great. Here at Mosaic, we baptize atheists. It's great. And, and so I thought I should ask him another follow-up question. I said, so Jordan, did you invite Jesus into your life and give your life to him? He said, yes. Now, this is so awesome. He came in as an atheist, and that was still his identity. He was an atheist who just had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. See, you can be an atheist and meet God. Because even though you don't believe in God, God believes in you. And, and he goes, but I, I, he goes, I feel all this confusion. I feel this angst. I said, oh, okay, let me explain. And he goes, okay, that'd be great. I said, because, you know, you're an atheist. that just gave your life to Jesus. So you're an atheist who knows God. It's, it's, it's a great place to be. And... And I said, you know how your brain moves faster in your body so I can see the back of the room, but it takes me longer to run to the back of the room? He goes, yes. So, well, in the same way that your brain runs faster than your body, your soul moves faster than your brain. I said, so your soul has had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, and your brain's trying to catch up. And that's the dissonance that you're feeling. I said, but don't worry. Eventually, your brain will catch up to your soul. And then eventually, your body will catch up to your brain, and it'll all come together. He goes, Okay. I get it. Oh, brick by brick, layer by layer, we're building something by love. But it doesn't happen freely. It happens because people freely sacrifice. I want you to know something. You parked free today because someone freely sacrificed. You're sitting in a chair free today because someone freely sacrificed. And the reason we're here is because 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, and I will build my church. And so Jesus freely gave his life so that we could live We are living in the freedom that Jesus paid for. So what freedom are you going to leave for others? It started to make sense to me why God does this the way he does this. Because I just hate the fact that God establishes the church where we have to actually choose to give financially. I love that, but I also hate it. I love being generous, but I hate that the church is always accused of, well, the church just wants your money. I just, I I can't stand that. And so we don't really talk about it a whole lot, but one of the things that really struck me, because if I ever talk about money, I'll always get an email from someone upset. And it finally made sense to me when I read this, this passage. Oh, they're angry because they're not moved by love. You see, when you love something, Sacrifice is what happens. See, I want you to know, I love you. I love the church. I love what God is doing in human history. I believe that Jesus is the desperate hope that the entire world is searching for. See, and it makes sense to me to sacrifice for it. What else can you do but sacrifice? There's some of you, it makes so much sense to you that no one has to convince you to sacrifice. And, And there's some of you going... Why, why would I ever have to give? And you go, no, you don't. You see, it's not about giving. It's about love. And once you love, it changes everything in your life. Because love liberates you to give. It sets you free from greed. And we have a church in Mexico City. They have over a thousand people in like six months. They have 18 people who give. 
800 people who come to Jesus and 18 people who give. I can tell you why. See, there are 1,100 people who love what the church offers them. And there are 18 people who love the church. And I, if you're here and you love what the church offers you, I want you to receive it freely. But I just believe there's some of you who are like me and like Kim, like so many others. Love has transformed you. It compels you. You have to create this free space, but you know it takes sacrifice because you love what you build and you build what you love. See, what we're doing together, we're just continuing what Jesus loved. We're just building what Jesus built because Jesus built what he loved and he made us and he brought us together. So I wonder if you're here right now and your life so desperately needs God. You're so desperate you need God to give you a new future, to give you a new hope, to set you free. To, you just desperately need God to free you from guilt and shame. And you need God to free you from your fears and your doubts. And, and, and maybe you're just a little nervous because it's terrifying to give your life to God. Let me tell you, the most powerful choice you'll ever make in your life is to cross that line of faith and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Because in that moment, Jesus pours his life into you and everything changes. And everything God builds, he builds with love. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.